You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Are we ready to dig into the Word of God this morning? Awesome. Let's do it. Uh, Let's pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, the words of the song this morning were just clear. Uh, I'm not enough, Lord unless you come. And so, Father, I'm just asking to be transparent this morning. Lord, your word says uh, that I must decrease and you must increase. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us this morning, that we would be uneasy, that we would be shaken to our core. Allow your spirit to convict us of what the word is saying to us this morning, Lord. If we're sinning, Lord, bring it to our hearts and to our minds that we may confess and repent and turn back to you. God, give us the wisdom to understand the message this morning. Lord, show up today. Be among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so for those of you that weren't here last week, uh, you'll understand that Dustin kicked things off in the first part of the series. We were in chapter one, and it took us through the first half. Now, for those of you that weren't able to hear that, We do have that sermon available on the podcast. Normally it's available much faster. We did have a few technical difficulties, but that is live now. So you can catch that on the Apple Podcast Store uh, or Google Podcast, and it's also available online. Uh, For me, though, to end a series halfway through the first chapter uh, would leave us at a disadvantage if we didn't take enough time uh, to develop some context and just recap what was covered. So real quick about the Inside Out series. Why do we call it Inside Out? You see, when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that is an inside experience, right? We we let Christ come into our hearts and take up residence and take over. And so that internal experience, the power of the gospel should be transforming our life And then that results in an outward expression of our faith. And that's what the entire book of James is about, a living faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about that this morning. So for those of you that did hear the message, what did Dustin say, right? He jumped right in to James telling us that we were going to go through trials, struggles, and tribulations. And inside of those struggles and those trials and those tribulations, the first piece of advice that the half-brother of Jesus gave us was to count it all joy when we went through struggles. And the first words out of Pastor Dustin's mouth last week was, what is wrong with James, right? Because it's countercultural to what the world tells us when we go through trials. The world tells us to run from trials, to avoid them, to have nothing to do with them, okay? But the Word of God is clear that we will struggle, that we will have trials. And we're going to talk more about that later. But James tells us to count it all joy. And so, in my opinion, and apparently in Dustin's, that's a radical command right out of the gate. And so Dustin left us with three radical steps that we must take if we are to understand the the point of the trials and to honestly be able to even start dealing with them. So you'll recall that the first one of those steps was radical patience. Radical patience. In the middle of the trials, 
We don't understand why we're going through them, but we must rely and trust that God is speaking to us, that he's working in the trials and that he's using them to shape us to be more like Jesus Christ. That's the entire point, to lead us to a more advanced level of spiritual maturity. It's a process that um, you'll see in theology. It's called sanctification. Salvation's the process where you put your faith in Christ uh, and you are justified by his death on the cross and you believing and repenting of your sins and accepting that. But that is not the end of the story. We are called to put our faith into action and to be more like Christ. And that process, once again, is called sanctification. So we were supposed to have radical patience. The next one was radical prayer. Okay, radical prayer. Now, I love talking about prayer because one of the first things I always like to tell people is that when we pray, we like to think that it's something that God needs. But prayer was actually ordained by God and given to us for our needs. You see, when we're not praying, we forget that when we live our lives, we are dependent on God's mercies and his grace. We are looking to him for the strength that we need to get through the trials and the tribulations. And when we don't pray, we forget that. I know that I've done it in my life, and I am sure that you are guilty of it in your own life. And so radical prayer, calling out to God and saying, I believe that you can get me through this trial. But Dustin also said to not be double-minded, and he touched on the fact that being double-minded doesn't mean that you struggle with belief, but then also doubts, right? Because when you have doubts, you cry out to the Lord, but help me in my unbelief, in my unbelief. A double-minded person is tossed. The word picture that James gives us is like wind-tossed waves. That's the person who says with the same lips that they depend and they trust on God. And then they rely on themselves and their friends and their family and anything in this world to get out of the trial. And that is not what we're called to do. And so radical prayer keeps us connected with the only source of power and strength that's going to get us through the trials and the tribulations. And finally, Dustin touched on, on the, the most important part of all of it, and that was radical promise. Radical promise. What is the radical promise this morning? I'm going to tell you what it is. We live in a fallen world. God created a perfect world, and mankind chose to rebel against God. That means that we are sinners by nature and by choice. Nobody has to teach us to do wrong. It's in our DNA, and we make an active decision on a regular basis to disobey God. And so because the world is fallen, his son entered into creation. And he started a ministry where he said, I'm here to save you. I'm here to die for your sins. He was wrongly accused, died on a cross, and his blood purchased our sins. And that's the radical promise this morning, is that the trials and even your worldly triumphs, when you're not depending on God, all of it is temporary. All of it is temporary. Because God's radical promise tells us that we are saved. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ we are saved. So the war is won. Death is defeated. You are in Christ's hand. And the Bible says that when you belong to him, nothing can snatch you from him. Can I get an amen this morning? Nothing can snatch you from him. And so that is the radical promise. And the radical promise kind of puts the cap uh, on what I like to think is a, a foundation that helps us pivot into the second half of chapter one. Now, I, I did notice an interesting observation. I, I explained this whole concept of the series uh, of Inside Out. Um, and I thought about radical patience and radical prayer and radical promise. And it became very clear to me, I think you would agree, that these are experiences that start on the inside. 
And so right in the middle of chapter 1, James transitions from that inward experience when we're understanding the trials, when we're patient, when we're praying to God, when we're remembering the promise. We're going to react to these trials and to these struggles. We're going to behave either appropriately or inappropriately. We're either going to say the right things that convey that we believe that God is with us in our struggles, or we are going to say the wrong things, and it's going to show a dying world that we might not necessarily have the faith that we claim to have. So James sets things up. We, we focus on that radical promise, and this gives us a foundation to pivot into the, the outward expression of our faith uh, in these, these practical uh, steps that we're going to take. So this morning, I have three responses that I think we have to take with trials and tribulations as Christ followers. And the first response is to listen. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 read this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, recapping on the first part of the chapter, uh, we're, we're right up at verse 19. James gets done really pointing out two things we have to remember about trials, okay? Trials and tribulations, while God may allow them because of his sovereignty, because he knows that letting you go through these situations will strengthen you and make you more mature as a believer, God is not the author of your trials in your temptations. This is a, a constant struggle where people like to say that God has to be the author of evil. How could an all-loving God allow people to go through difficulties? Well, a lot of you in this room are either parents or grandparents, and I would wager that you put your children into tough social circumstances, into different things in life where they have to make moral decisions to do right or to do wrong. And you know that while these things are difficult, right? It's like Dustin talked about taking Ansley to get a shot. And y'all know how wild Ansley is. So he takes her to get a shot and she don't want the shot. And, and she, you know, she can't do this, but Dustin knows that she needs it. And that's the same way with God. God knows that these trials uh, strengthen and shape us in, into what he's doing. And so sometimes we just got to get put in these difficult circumstances so that we can make those decisions, right? It, it's not that God wants to see us suffer, or that he delights or takes pleasure in it. He just knows that it's going to make us stronger. It's going to make us better. And ultimately, you can probably look at the markers in your life and realize that you went through trials where you depended on God. And at the end of the trial, you were more faithful. Your relationship with Christ was deepened. And you can't imagine living without God. I know that I have that moment in my life, and later this morning I'm going to talk about one of them. But think about your salvation and think about the things you've been through. And I bet we can all recount a time uh, that God has been mighty uh, and powerful in our lives. So as we break down these verses this morning, and I said the first response is to listen we got to remember that God speaks to us in the midst of our trials. And God speaks to us in several ways. He speaks to us when we read his word, when we hear it preached, when we have times of worship, when we go to groups and we fellowship with other believers and we're in prayer, right? Scripture says that when two or three gather in his name, that he is there among them, right? So, so God is always working in his creation and letting us know that he's there. But honestly, folks, this morning, it, it's clear in the first two verses here, that there are obstacles that get in our way, and these obstacles make it hard for us to hear God speak to us. 
Now, one of the things I like to do when I'm studying scripture, I, I learned this, this concept in, in seminary called hermeneutics, and I don't want to take you down that road because depending on the book you crack open, it will make your brain hurt, okay? Uh, but hermeneutics just means that you are interpreting the word of God correctly. It means that when you're reading scripture, understanding the historical background, the original audience that the uh, writer was, was speaking to, all of these things matter because if we, if we move forward without these understandings, we may infer the wrong meaning from the text. Now, within scripture, there are underlying theological principles that are still relevant today. So don't feel like because it was in a different time and place that it's not applicable. It still is, but it helps to shape context. It helps us to just really dig into the word. But one of the techniques that they teach you uh, is to pulverize the word. And, and at, at first, uh, explanation of that, that sounds kind of crazy. You're like, what is he about to say? What you can do is you can take parts of scripture and you can phrase it slightly differently without altering the meaning or move things around a little bit. And it helps you kind of think outside of the box and, and get a better understanding of what the writer was trying to say and what the Holy Spirit was saying. And so I want to rephrase this first part. And you let me know if you don't agree with the structure, but I think it works this morning. James said, we are to remain silent that's slow to speak. We are to stay calm, that's slow to anger, and to listen submissively. That means quick to hear, okay? So, church, I'm going to say something this morning. We're going we're gonna to deal with the first obstacle, right? Uh, I, I love y'all. I have this problem too, but I'm going to tell you what we, we really need to do as Christ followers. You ready? We need to shut up. We need to zip our lips. Um, we need to put a sock in it. Stop our jaw jacking, whatever idiom uh, or explanation you want to use. Sometimes I think we can all admit that our lips, our tongue gets us just straight in trouble. Can I get a witness this morning? All right. <laughs> can I get a witness this morning? And this is, this is a common theme in the book of James. Okay. This is not the last time you will hear that your tongue can get you in trouble. Uh, the chapter three of the book of James is very clear about it, and it goes into much more detail about how the tongue gets us into trouble. But I do want to touch on a couple quick points and examples so you can kind of see the practicality of this, of how our tongue gets us into trouble. And the first one is this. I worry sometimes as Christians that we spend far too much time talking at God and very little time listening to God. All right? We spend far too much time talking at God and far too little time listening to God. Now, listen, I want you to hear my heart this morning. I'm not telling you not to talk to God, all right? We just got done talking about the need for radical prayer. But you see, you should take your, your struggles to God. You should ask for healing and mercies and strength, but you should also listen to what he has to say. And our, our tongue will just get in the way so fast that we're just rambling and rambling and rambling. I'll tell you another thing, right? I said that God communicates through his word. How many of you, when you crack your Bible open to spend time with God, take the time to pray, to ask God to speak to you, to have an attentive spirit, and you're, you dutifully and intently study the word, expecting God to speak to you through it? You probably, half of you probably say sometimes, the other half probably say probably not all the time, and I'm right there with you, okay? I'm right there with you. Uh, because of this, I break my study time up into two different habits, right? Because what I've realized is you can open the Bible, and you can move the bookmark forward, and that's all you've achieved. God has not spoken to you. You've gained a head knowledge, 
right? This is going to sound familiar, but you're not getting the hard experience. You're not hearing what God's trying to say to you during these trials. And that's not a place that we want to be. But I break my study time up knowing that I'm this way. Um, I approach scripture to gain the knowledge and the understanding. I read commentaries and different references. And I go in clearly expecting just to, to gain that kind of type of context and, and, and just really dig in. But then I have a different time where it's more of a devotional approach, okay? I have specific uh, series of scripture that I'm studying. I intently pray and ask God to speak to me and give me an attentive spirit. I memorize the scripture and I meditate on it. And I, I really would encourage you this morning that if your study time doesn't look something like that, I'm not saying you have to copy me, but I'm just encouraging you this morning, don't read the Bible just for the sake of reading it, okay? Read the Bible expecting God to speak to you. The second thing our tongue uh, will get us into trouble with uh, comes back to, and this is why I think we need to sometimes be quiet, uh, is we're complaining. We're just complainers, and we whine, and we moan, and we complain about how bad and how difficult the trials are. And if I think if we're being honest this morning, we'll do this to anybody who will listen, okay? Um, I think some of you would, would go down to Harlem or even me potentially and see a random stranger. And if you're having a bad enough day, you'll tell them all about it. All right. And that, that causes difficulties because when we're in a constant state of complaining and whining in the midst of a trial, we're one communicating that we don't think God's doing anything in the midst of the trial. And that's terrible. And the whining and the complaining, it actually affects your attitude and your emotions, okay? The, I mean, how many of you realize that if, if you get around that person who's always negative and, and it's the woe is me card, does that not depress you to your core? Because it does that to me. And then I know in my own life, if I'm the person complaining and whining, all it does is drain me, both physically and spiritually. And so our tongue can get us into trouble uh, when we're complaining and when we're whining, and then this last one here is, is a big one because it has a direct impact on our ability to do ministry effectively. And that's we're so busy running our own mouths, right, that we're just unloading our burdens on other people and we fail to see the needs of people to our left and to our right. So all around us are broken and hurting people. There are people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ and they're going through something real. And they have a hard time telling other people. But we can't hear them because we're too busy talking and we're not taking any time to listen, all right? Now, I've been married for like nine years, okay? Uh, coming up in February. Sam hates when I say I'm getting ready to start year 10. She wants me to say it a certain way. I- I'm going to be honest with you, but that's where we're at. And in all of that time, uh, my mouth gets me in trouble in my marriage, right? If we want to relate to a relationship. And sometimes not listening is the beginning of almost every argument, okay? You're not listening. You're not listening. Babe, I am trying to listen. I love you. So we need to listen, right? We need to stop um, unloading our burdens on people. And so we're listening for the word of God and and we're listening to the people around us so that God can use us as the hands and feet uh, of Christ to do good ministry and do the kingdom work that he's called us to do. Now, I have a couple of uh, quotes. They, they come from random sources this morning, but three I'd like to leave you with on the concept of how our mouth gets us in trouble. It's been noted that we have one mouth but two ears. The ears are open, but the mouth is walled behind teeth and lips. That's interesting. The great talker is rarely a great listener, and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. We know that's true. 
And tribute was once given, this is one of my favorite ones, tribute was once given to the gifted linguists who could be silent in seven different languages. We can't even be silent in one language, all right? In one language. And so this is something that we all have to work on this morning, church, is being slow to speak, being silent, listening for God and listening to the people around us so we can see those ministry needs. And then the second part this morning this is the other thing that will halt us from hearing the word of God and hearing the people around us is our anger, okay? When you get angry, when I get angry, that's it. The ears are shut off. I'm in, I'm in go mode, um, and I don't know how I'm going to respond. And depending on who you are and your level of anger, all bets are off. All bets are off. And when our response to our trials and our temptations is that of anger and of wrath. This, this does not produce the character that God's after. It does not produce the righteousness that he wants people to see in you. Okay. Now, here, here's another thing to point out, uh, just digging into Scripture. The word righteousness here that James is using is much like Jesus typically used it. And I need to point it out because when, when James and Jesus in most cases are talking about righteous, they're talking about our outward conduct and our behavior. Um, so you've got to be careful when you look at that word because they're not talking about justification here like Paul does, right? When Paul generally used the word righteousness, he was talking about your salvation. And so understand here what we're talking about is your anger uh, just can affect your righteousness, this outward appearance that you are a child of God. And so here's the thing. Our difficulties, right? God is not allowing you to go through difficult things to make you bitter. He's making you go through these difficult things to make you better, to make you better. So the first response is one, to listen, right? And the second response this morning that I, I want to cover is repentance, the second response is repentance. James 1 and verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here again, we're talking about the consequences of sin. Digging underneath, we're not talking about justification, but we are saying that the sins that we drag into salvation has consequences here and now. When you live a life as a believer in unrepentant sin, it will darken your entire world, okay? It will darken your entire world, and it puts us in a place outside the will of God. It puts walls up all around us so that we cannot hear what our Savior is saying. Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice. They know me, right? But we can't hear him when our life is full of unrepentant sin. And sometimes we drag this into salvation with us. And honestly, sometimes even as Christ followers, we engage in sin again. Now, I think it's important for us to remember this morning that we have got to stop compromising on the word of God and letting these little sins, that's what we like to act like. Well, this sin's not as bad as this sin. Sin is sin to God, okay? And we are called to be holy. So if we turn to First Peter this morning very quickly, I want to go through a few verses. So First Peter chapter 1 and starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, I want to share with you this morning, if you haven't learned by now with me and Dustin, we 
really strive to be transparent as leaders. And one of the things that I've noticed uh, ever since I've become a pastor is we tend to, as Christians, to some for some reason, we put a pastor on a pedestal. And and I get it, right? God is holding us to, to this, this really strict standard, and he expects us to live and act a certain way, but he expects all of us to live and act a certain way. But the, the problems when you put your pastor on a pedestal, it, it goes right back. It's a direct correlation to what Dustin talked about with that perfect social media life. When you look on the social media and you think everything's great, uh, as pastors, I worry sometimes that we can walk around, right, and, and, and we're living out our faith, and you guys think that we're perfect and everything is, is well. And for those of you that are on the launch team or you're a personal friend of mine or you've served in the military with me, uh, you know that's not true, okay? Uh, you know that is not true. If you've spent time with Dustin out here, Dustin's a good man. He's a great lead pastor. But I'm going to tell you, Dustin still needs Jesus Christ every day, just like I need Jesus Christ, just like you need Jesus Christ. And so we need to constantly be listening to the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins, okay? Andrew, you're not perfect either. Um, I love you. I didn't hear Sally say amen, so that's good. All right. Oh, she did. It was just silent. All right. So here's, here's a quick story, right? I came to salvation at the age of 24, all right? I directly jumped right into youth ministry about a year later, and it was a successful ministry. I, I had five or six young men uh, for several years that were chasing Jesus Christ, and we had great Bible studies, um, not having girls in the group. I'm not picking on this morning, but it made all of our events easy because boys just like to go out in the woods and camp and shoot and hike. And I'm not saying girls... Uh, don't like to do that. I don't, don't let me get in trouble this morning. I'm just saying that having all guys just made the logistics very easy for me. It's a successful ministry. Uh, that's not the point of my story. So here's the deal, right? At some point in my walk with Christ and in my ministry, I let sin come into my camp. I let sin come into my camp. And for me, that struggle was with lust and an addiction to pornography, now, I'm not going to go into an entire dichotomy this morning and throwing statistics at you about how destructive pornography is, right? I could do an entire sermon series on that. I could do a focus group and really dig into that for several weeks and talk about how it's ruining families and destroying intimacy. I'm just saying this morning, it destroyed it in my life, okay? I felt distant from God. I didn't feel like I could hear him anymore. I had no intention to want to read the word, to dig in, to memorize scripture. I didn't want to be intimate with my wife. I didn't want to spend time with her. It, it, it ruined me. It, I, I don't even know how to begin to express it. But I had reached a crossroads. I reached a point where the sin in my camp, and, and I, I confided in a Christian friend, and I said, listen, I, I'm at a crossroads where I either have to put these chains down and follow Jesus or I have to go the other way. And there's a reason for this. I, as I was studying scripture, I came upon uh, the end of John chapter six. And Jesus had just gotten done telling his disciples, so, so the 12 and the larger group of disciples that followed him, he told them that uh, he was the bread of life, and he gave a very difficult teaching that they had a hard time accepting. And so many people, the Bible says, left and walked away. They never came back. And so Jesus turned to his disciples, and he said, what about you? Are you not going to leave as well? And I just really like what they responded, and they said, 
but Lord, where will we go, right? You have the word of eternal life. We have put our belief in you, and we know you are the Holy One of God. And when I read those words, when I, and, I, and I read in, in a book, someone had, had kind of written a summary of all of that. He said that the goal in life where you want to be, uh, where you know you can never turn back, is, is to be like them. You want to be ruined for Jesus Christ. And so it was that, that moment that I realized these chains that were weighing me down, they weren't attached to anything. They were broken. I was already saved. Christ had already died for those sins. I believed in him. I had put my faith in him. I had repented of this sin as a a young man, and it was gone for a long time. But somehow, by my own sinful desires, I let it come back into my camp, and it almost destroyed me. And you know how easy it was to turn away from it? It was just to acknowledge that I was carrying chains that were already broken. And that's not where I am anymore. That's not my story, but there's part of a testimony. So your pastors aren't perfect. That's all I want you to take away this morning. All of us need Jesus every day and every day to come, okay? Now, what is the life, if we're going to live a holy life, Jesus says that uh, the mark of a believer is that they have fruit, right? So let's look at the fruits that we should see in believers. If we look at Galatians chapter 5, And in verse 22, it reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now I'll tell you what I didn't see there. I didn't see anger. I didn't see wrath. I didn't see any of the typical sinful actions that we tend to engage in, whether we're an unbeliever or we're a Christ follower. But these are the fruits. These are the evidence of a changed life. So we respond by listening to God. We respond by repenting, right? Being convicted and and driving the sin out of our camp. And finally, during the trials and tribulations, we respond by obedience. Real quick this morning, James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgetting what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So look, this this is the, the culminating verse. It's probably the key verse of the whole book of James, right? It's the one you've probably heard the most as a Christian. You can summarize it as practice what you preach, living faith. It's, it's to be doers of the word and not hearers only, okay? The one way that I like to honestly hear it put the most is once we have salvation, the transforming power of the gospel, we need to take that salvation and put it into shoe leather, right? We need to live out our faith around other people, okay? We talk about here at Impact that we have this this discipleship process of know, grow, and show. And the final stage of that process, show, is showing the love of God to the world. We do this on outreach teams when we love and care for other people and their needs. This is very, very important to do, and that's living the word out, okay? Now, the Jews that James was speaking to, they would have been very familiar with hearing the word. They heard it in the synagogues every week, okay? And if we kind of relate that to our church today, church in general, um, 
it's people coming to church on Sunday. This is rampant in the South. They hear the word, but Monday through Saturday, they live like unbelievers, right? They live like unbelievers. And these things shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Um, I refuse to continue to live my life personally like the blood that Jesus uh, shed for me has no transformative power. I refuse to allow my outward behavior, expressions, to convey that Christ's blood has no power because that is a lie and I'm not going to live that and I would encourage you this morning to not live that either, okay? And if we continue down this road and we continue to hear the word of God but to never put it into practice, to never put our salvation into shoe leather, then we are simply deceiving ourselves and we're no better than a bunch of fools. We're simply pretending. We can come in here, fold up all the chairs, take out everything of the building, lock the doors, and never come back. If we're simply hearers of the word, but we don't allow Jesus Christ to work through us and in us and be the hands and feet of him, it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. I want to close with this this morning. Maybe you've heard what I have said and you're like, okay, I I, I get you, right? Uh, I need to listen. I need to repent. And I need to be obedient. And I know that that those are, are tough charges and you could leave here today and just toss that to the side and say, that was just James. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke 11, 28, I don't believe I have this one on the screen, so just listen here intently. Jesus said, those that hear God's word and obey it, these, these are the ones that are blessed, okay? You see, the blessing does not come in studying the word of God, but doing the word of God, living it out, being an active part of what he's doing in his kingdom work. Now, we have this word picture of the mirror, right? We talked about this, this looking into the mirror and, and just going away, right? And we, and we don't know what we look like anymore. And the problem is we're using the wrong mirror, okay? When you allow your sinful nature to be the mirror that you look into, uh, all you're going to see is a fallen and broken person, and that's the only thing you're going to know of yourself. And you're going to live like the world lives, and things should not be this way. And we really got to look for, for a practical application, and that's found in the Word of God. When we allow God's Word, His perfect will, to be our mirror, we see the character of God, and we realize that it's the perfect match for our character and who we are. And so in humility, we realize that we are fallen, that we are dependent on God, that we are in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And when that becomes our mirror, that changes everything. It changes everything. And so church this morning, you know, I, I just want to finish up on these last two verses really quickly while the music plays. James says in 26 and 27 that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, there it is again, the tongue that gets us into trouble, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, just like Jesus, James says that 
our faith, our religion, what we believe without action is worthless. A Christian's life should be marked by spiritual fruit. We have got to start living like what Jesus did on the cross actually means something in our day-to-day lives. We have to. We have got to allow it to change who we are. And so when we listen to the message of truth, the truth that's found in the gospel, that he's saved us, that he's died on the cross, that he's delivered us from who we once were, and we take that and consistently live out our faith, the world can never be the same. It can never be the same. I'm sure most of you have friends and you have family that are not Christ followers. And one of the things that I've struggled with recently in my own life is that God has burdened my heart for those people. And at first, I I, I cannot stand how it makes me feel because it depresses me and it makes me sad. And I want to ask God to remove it. Take this burden away for the lost. But we can't ask Him that. We've got to maintain a burden in our hearts for the lost. Jesus had it. And if we are to be like Christ, we need to have it too. And so I want you to think this morning. If if you just go ahead and stand real quick. We're going to move into our time of response. I want you to think this morning about that family member or that friend who doesn't know Jesus. And I know your heart is breaking too when you think about them. There's nothing like knowing who Jesus Christ is. There's nothing like knowing what a changed life feels like. And to watch somebody choose disbelief, to be apathetic, to be agnostic, to not want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. And so I know what that pain feels like because I feel it all the time. And maybe you're here this morning and you go, friends or family, that sounds like me. Don't go another day without putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I know James wrote this book to Christians and he gave us these practical ways to live out our faith. But I hope you heard this morning what we're supposed to be as Christ followers. And so if you feel God pulling you to that, if you feel like you want to be like the disciples and you want to know that Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life, you want to escape from the chains that you're carrying. Maybe like me, you're carrying something that you cannot let go of. I urge you this morning to let Christ break those chains in your life. He is the almighty and great, powerful chain breaker, and he can do it like that. You just have to put your faith in him. As we go into our time of prayer, I just want you to stand here in awe of God, to search your heart, and ask yourselves, are you going to be hearers of the word only or doers as well? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.